Welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. We are your hosts of the show, Karen and Kelly Sarlow. Whether you're struggling with grief or you just need answers, we connect you with spirit to find relief, clarity, and direction in life. We can help you move forward. Hello, Kelly. Good morning. I'm going to need the name of a female for today's show. I've chosen Esme. Esme? Mm-hmm. What nationality is that? Not a clue. Oh, okay. Where did you find it? Can't say. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just, you know, I choose names of people that I hear in our community and yeah, yeah okay. just for fun, but yeah. I would never want to give someone's identity right. away to another group, right? Right. Okay. That's fair. And I appreciate the confidentiality. I thought you were going to say like a TV show or a she, Actually, a there's song. an Esme, I think, in Twilight, which I'm not, that's not where this came from. I wouldn't be proud of that. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So um, I can see Esme. This is a Zoom call and she has booked half an hour. And at the very beginning of it, she says, um, do you think that you could just start with open? I really do have a question and I really do have something that I have to get to. I promise not to wait till the very end to ask you the question, but I'm really curious. I just want to see if you're just going to know. And I went, yeah, I can just ask the guides and do that. So I asked the guides immediately what she was looking for. And if that's what we were supposed to be doing that day, or if they had something else they wanted her to do. And the very first thing I was told, Kelly, was that she had had a near-death experience and that she wanted to know more about it. And I thought, holy poop, what what in God's name am I going to do with that? And the guides... Really? Hey? I can't believe you asked that question <laughs> a decade in. <laughs> Don't you feel that way every day? Yeah. If I just look at my agenda, I'm like, holy poop, what am I going to do with that? Uh, yes, I it's do. It's channeling. Like you have no control. Very much. I totally get what you're saying. <laughs> so the guides immediately started to show me that the near-death experience was in a hospital. And so I I actually, actually I should explain a little bit of that. And then I'm going to talk about her response. So this is because this is actually how it happens. They show me that she's in a hospital. They show that the nurses and the doctors, everybody is taking the best care of her possible, that there's no reason that they've caused the near-death experience, that it actually occurs outside of the hospital, and they're just helping her save her life. So this isn't a medical a medical accident, or it's been induced by something that occurred in the hospital, which is just really giving her a validation, right? Because she would know that. And then they start to show a little bit more, actually. They showed quite a bit at the very beginning that um, she sees this white light and that she she calls it like getting sucked through a tunnel but not experiencing any pain in the process. But she doesn't show me where she floats above her body before she dies. She doesn't show me anything like that. And at the end of this tunnel, there's a woman waiting for her and that she sees this woman and she walks up to her and that there's a conversation between her and this woman and that this woman um, is, is present in this session for me to be able to say, this is this is the conversation that she wants to ask about. This is what she's asking. She can't remember our conversation, but she remembers the white light. And eventually over time, 
she has come to remember me. But when she first came out of it, she didn't even remember me. This is, this is a really slow process. And she's hoping that she, you're going to be able to tell her about what we discussed. And I said, well, am I? Like, are you going to tell me that? Or is this just as far as I'm supposed to go? And this is the next stage. And this, I'll say being, this being says to me, I'd like to tell you the conversation. So I'm going to hit pause right there. And now I'm going to go to the session and say that I, I paused and said to Esme, okay, Esme, I think I've got what you're looking for, but I don't know. So I'm just going to tell you what the spirit guides, your spirit guides um, have shown me. And I need some validations so that I'm, you know, not giving you wrong information. You've got an entirely different question, everything. So I asked her if she had had a near-death experience and she said, yes. And my God, Kelly, the look on her face when I told her that was just unbelievable. It was astonishment. Mm -hmm. It was awe. It was like she was looking at me like I was a movie star or I was some kind of a superpower. Like, like you were? Yes. Insinuating you're not or don't have a superpower? Not liking you this morning. <laughs> Sorry. I realize anybody listening to this might have just got a spike in the volume because of my laughter. So my apologies. Um, okay. Thank you. Honestly, like I could rip into you. I'm going to do this nicely because I've had coffee. Um, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> Like, you think about how many experiences mm. we have as humans in mm. this, it just in one lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. Or just in one decade even, that feel inexplicable, mm -hmm. right? And and I something like I, I would imagine someone who runs a race and wins first place and is experiencing a euphoria that mm -hmm. you can't really understand unless you've run a marathon and put your body through that, right? Yeah. Um, the joy, the, oh my God, it's over, the... It, all these things that you can't put into words that are flowing through your body and you're trying yeah. to process all in a moment, right? Um, someone who's gone on a rescue mission, right? Mm. Like uh, there's so many different scenarios. Someone who's experiencing being in love for the first time mm. where they can't even put into words what that feels like. I will also throw in there the first time that you see Harry Potter and you see the Great <gasps> Hall and you yes. can't put into words why you feel at home even though you've never been there, right? Like. Yeah. There's all these moments that we can't put into words that fill us up, but simultaneously leave us feeling alone and isolated. And a near-death experience would be one of those things that is truly remarkable, mm -hmm. but words can't encompass the experience. And now you're standing in front of her without her even telling you that you had one or she mm -hmm. had one, mm -hmm. and you're explaining to her what happened. Mm -hmm. Whose jaw wouldn't drop? Yeah, thank you. Like, unless you are dead inside, and I didn't mean that ironically, like, mm. yeah, like, how can you not be floored that this other person is saying, girl, I know exactly what you've been through. Yeah, thank you. That makes, yeah, that makes me want to sit. It makes me want to cry. I was going to say that it makes me want to sit and have a cup of tea and celebrate well, we her just, life. Yeah, because we have this. Yeah. 
above average privilege Mm -hmm. of being able to relate to another person and experience empathy in ways that other humans really only get to ever imagine. Yeah. And that's a huge superpower too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And what you've, how you've kind of made me hit the pause button to understand what I'm what you and I are capable of doing to help people. And Thank the you. intent behind it. Yeah. It's not to say I know things about you or mm-hmm. I have I have information to hold above you or I knew the information first. Like it's nothing about power and everything mm-hmm. about being able to walk through life with people and say we get you. Yeah. Yeah, because all I can think about is how excited I am. To be able to tell her everything that was said at that time and share it mm. and see if she can place it in her life doesn't make sense. So there's just, on my part, and I know on yours as well, there's just a pure joy and, mm. and clear, simple intention to be honest. Yeah. And I will say through the joyful things like this near-death mm-hmm. experience potentially, mm-hmm. um, and also through the worst of the worst things where we mm-hmm. are remote viewing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, capital T trauma in people's lives mm-hmm. to say, it's okay. You don't have to speak. You don't have to put it into words. Yeah. I'm looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Thank you. So I asked, as, is it Esme? Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I asked Esme if it was true she had had the near-death experience. She said yes. Then I gave her the points. I said it was in a hospital. And she went, yeah. And you can see when I say things like that, that again, she's like, there's just this real pause and look on her face. Like, how'd you know that? So I just want to clarify for listeners and myself, the reason for the near-death experience happens outside the hospital but mm-hmm. it's when she gets into the hospital that mm-hmm. she starts to experience the mm-hmm. near death. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't totally understand all of that. Like, I, I'm not a medical person that could say, okay, yes, we can explain that. Medically, she's starting to die here. She gets into the ambulance. They're trying to keep her alive. She gets to, I like, I don't understand that. I'm not medical. I feel like you just did explain it. Oh, good. Okay. Well, then yeah, I'll- you can come out of a car accident, for example, and be in shock and functioning. And then, you know, people are like, yo, you're bleeding. We're going to get you in an ambulance to get you checked out. And you start coding in the ambulance or once you get into the ER. Yeah. Okay, fair. We've watched enough seasons of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Yeah, shame on me. Or doctors, too. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I'm waiting for my honorary doctorate from Grey's Anatomy. We all are. (laughs) Okay. So I I explained that this occurred in the hospital. And she confirms that. Because she's told all of this from her family and medical people after all of this occurs. Um, I tell her about the white light that she experiences, and she says, yes. And I said, and then you found uh, what you think is a female. And she said, yeah, that's right, I, I, I did. And I said, so you had a conversation with her, and you can remember talking to her. That's part of your memory, actually, is that you actually can remember the, that you had the conversation, but you can't recall the conversation. And she goes, exactly. She goes, do you know how crazy I feel telling people that? And I said, I do, because I've had it in a dream. And I think people can relate to Esme because we've had dreams where we know we dreamt we were talking to somebody, 
but we can't remember the conversation. Yeah, and we often have an inner knowing or, or lingering feeling of what we felt in the conversation, even though we can't remember the words or the sound of the voice or even if there was any. Well, that's important. Thank you. And I, the, so the next thing I said to her is, is that I said, even though you don't recall what was said in the conversation, you recall the feeling of being at peace with this being. And she said, person. <laughs> um, and I was trying to be very clear that it was a being and not a person because of what I understand from the spirit world. And I said, uh, so I clarified that. And I said to her, I'm going to refer to this entity as a being and not a person. And she said, why? And I said, because I said, you're, you're thinking that this is a person who's died like a grandmother, a person in your life. And she goes, yeah, like who else? And she wanted me to name people who had died for her. And I said, your mom. And she went, yeah, because she was looking for, she wanted the validation that she had met her mom. And I said, it's not. And you could see her disappointment that this wasn't, that, that it wasn't her mother. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, Esme, it can't be your mom. I said, because at this point, this being is approaching you to negotiate with you that you have another life and a dead person can't do that. And she went, what? And I said, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong. Like, this is just my knowledge my experiences. And I said, to my, to my awareness from speaking to the guides for the last several decades, my understanding is, is that a dead person doesn't get to negotiate your life for you. I said, as far as I know, those are your spirit guides or very high level beings. So I explained to Esme that to my understanding, this is a guide of hers that is speaking to her um, in regards to what she's gone through on life in life. And that the guide is offering her another opportunity to stay on earth as a human being, be alive, to continue her life. And that this is, this is pretty exceptional. And that not everybody gets that opportunity. And that she's being presented with that. And so she just looked at me and went, this is incredible. I can't believe what you're doing. So I'd like to pause. A, I need to catch my breath because Winston's farting. But also because for those who are listening, the other components is that some people are in a near-death experience and they are met by these beings and humans mm -hmm. who flat out say where it's not a negotiation, mm -hmm. look, your time's not up. You got to go back. Mm -hmm. I'm, here to, I'm here to fill you with love. I'm here to fill you with reassurance. I'm here to tell you you're not alone, yeah. but you don't get to die today, yeah. right? And some people show up, beings and dead loved ones, to say, you can't get back in your body. You yeah. don't have a choice. Yeah. So it's not a negotiation at that point. And that's why you're making or stressing the point that when it comes to a negotiation of a contract, that's not what humans or or previously humans yeah. get to do. I call them dead humans. Right. <laughs> to differentiate between a dead human and your guides mm -hmm. and the the roles and the responsibilities um, that each group of beings have for you when you're on earth. Mm -hmm. So I explained all of that. That was a really good conversation. And she said, do you think you could continue? I'm just, this is exactly why I phoned you. This was my hope. 
um, can you just go on? And I said, yeah. So I went back and just said, I'm going to really sit with this being and you're probably going to notice that I'm not going to listen to you too much. So if you start a conversation, I'm going to tune you out. <laughs> and she said, okay, why? And I said, because I want to give my full focus to this other being. I want to give all of my energy to being in this space to make sure that your messages are completely accurate. This is a big freaking responsibility and I take it seriously. So I'm going to take all of my molecules. If you're science-based, you might find this humorous um, or accurate. I want to take as many molecules as possible to make sure that I'm in the right quantum field or matrix or whatever the terms are to really be with this guide and make sure that your messages are, are really, yeah, I'll just say accurate and honest. And so the guide says to me, her guide, says, okay, look at, this is the conversation I had with Esme. Let's get to the point. It had to do with the fact that she's a dishonest person and that it's not her fault. The dishonesty came in early childhood where her parents raised her to avoid honesty in order not to get hit or, or just to get the things that she needed just to get to survive, just to survive, just to be safe, just to be loved. And I'm going to say all of the core things that she actually deserved, all of the things she had a right to and that they withheld from her. So her parents were huge withholders. And that as a result of both parents being withholders, both parents understanding that they were both going to do it to her because they were not going to correct each other. They were not going to throw her a lifeline. Neither of her parents were going to show her healthiness, that she truly just goes through life with a toolkit that I don't need to be honest, but really, truly, Kelly, even deeper than that, she doesn't even understand the concept of honesty. So I explain that to her, and she's so freaking delighted, Kelly, honestly, like it's just such a, there's such a connection between the two of us too, right? It's so intimate. And then the spirit guides go on and explain more to me about how she um, goes through her adult life. Now let's go into teenager and let's go into adult life where you have to, you're supposed to individuate in teenage years from your parents. And the importance of this whole period of time where if you don't, if you're not allowed to stand up and fight with your parents in a healthy way and assert your own individual thinking, that your parents delay, or, or in many cases, and in hers in particular, she never gets an individuation process in those critical teenage years. So she continues with this whole thing of not being honest, because she really doesn't ever really know. You know, somebody says, do you want a pizza? Do you want to go to a movie? She doesn't ever really know. She just says yes, because she's always avoiding, do I really... Do I really want to? Is this what I want or not? She's taught not to go through those processes. She's just taught to say yes and go along so that you don't ever have to deal with rejection. You don't ever have to deal with, and because you don't deal with rejection, you don't deal with your own individuation that I'm allowed to have my own feelings, my own wants, my own identity which identity comes from knowing what you feel and what you want. And the experiences 
that when you want something different from somebody else and you stand up and you get it, that you have to deal with confrontation or you have to deal with just being able to say no thanks and being able to do your own thing and enjoying what it is that you do. But that's all part of a process. And she doesn't get any of it. So then she goes into being married, she goes into having children, and the guides just show very quickly, like speeding up a movie if you want, where you get to see that she doesn't ever really individuate, even from her own babies, that even as tiny toddlers and newborns, that she believes that you just always give them what they want. And so she has friends all the way through life that hold on to their friendship because this is who she is. But here's, here's something that became really important was that she ended up with a couple of friends that got tired of that but and tried to challenge her a tiny bit but realized that they would just lose the friendship because they saw that she had an inability to actually know herself. And so this is said to her that she sees all of this in this near-death experience and that the guides actually show her that even her friends have no way of really understanding how to reach her. So when you say she had a few friends who kept the relationship because of who she is. This is how you worded it. What did you mean? Well, they keep the friendship and decide not to ever really truly challenge her um, because they realize that she's not capable of even coming to her own process of individuating to have her own opinion. So there's some protectiveness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I think I'm, I'm asking you to explain that because my first assumption me, I Mm -hmm. I won't speak on behalf of listeners, is that when you said they kept the friendship because of who she is, it's because, well, she's very easily manipulated. Yeah. And that friendship may serve the friend's needs because she's never willing to challenge. Yeah. But you're actually saying it's because there's an element of, I want to protect you because you're not being your own person. Yes. And you're not adulting and we can see it. And then the last thing that I got to see was in in this um, near-death experience was that she ended up in therapy. And they briefly show me her sitting like in an office with a person um, that's challenging this, that's trying to say to her, um, do you know what honesty is? And she's trying to say, well, yes, it's doing things that other people want. And the therapist is trying to say things to her like, no. And the therapist is really trying to dig deep into a system, you know, like, did your parents teach you this? Like, you can see where the therapist is trying to go with it, but where she quits therapy, I just see her stand up and walk out the door and the therapist sitting there looking like, yeah, okay, this is, this isn't something I can do if you're going to walk out the door and not stay where I get to teach you something. Mm -hmm. So can we pause then? Because I think this will have lost a couple people and others won't know why they're saying, I agree, but they won't know why. Mm -hmm. People pleasers who grow up very dependent on others to the point where you're talking about merging with Mm -hmm. other people, right? Not Mm -hmm. knowing what I think and feel and need. I only... 
I only attend to what you tell me you think, feel, and need, mm-hmm. right? I'm just an extension of you at this point. Mm-hmm. They grow up with a different kind of understanding. I won't say definition, but different understanding of honesty. Mm -hmm. And it typically follows along the lines of follow through. Mm -hmm. So it's not assessing what we think and feel and asserting our position. It's actually, in in their frame of reference, it's following through on what you've requested of me. Mm -hmm. And we call ourselves, when we're people pleasers, honest people Mm -hmm. because we're dependable, Mm -hmm. right? Dependable to carry out what you are telling me you Mm -hmm. think, feel, need, and know. But dependable is not necessarily an honest trait. And yeah, thank you very much. And and they show, and there's a little bit of a conversation with Esme here in the spirit world between her and her guide, that she's actually not living her own life right. at you, all. Yeah. Merging and living your own life are two completely different things. Yeah, and that her parents never allow her or give her the tools. As a matter of fact, they enforce and make sure that she never has an identity, that she doesn't have any processes to create one. And that walking in and sitting down in, in, in a therapist's office to say, where a therapist is going to say, hey, we actually have to tell you that you don't have an identity. And we actually have to teach you how to create one, but I'm here to do it with you. And, but you're going to need me now more than you're going to need them. Was something that she wasn't willing to do. Mm. And the spirit guides are coming in to say to her in the near-death experience, Okay, so that means that when you actually die, you're going to look at life and go, you never lived one. Mm. That you only, you, there is a shell of you that is something that your parents created. And that, that teenage individuation time in life where you were supposed to be able to have the tools to separate from your parents, which is a critical stage, um, you never were permitted to have. And then you move off into relationships, jobs, and every other aspect of life where you pick jobs and partners and friends that don't ever challenge that either. And that benefit from that in some way. And then you've got the friends that you're talking about that also don't challenge it because they see how fragile she is and they know they're not therapists. So what the hell are we going to do? Well, you also end up with friends potentially who are enablers, right? Who are going to coddle and baby you if they see that you don't have the tools and doing things on other people's behalf never actually equips them with tools. It just says, stay useless. Yes. So so we have this little conversation around the fact that, that this guide is telling her, if you go back to earth right now, like we're giving you an option here. We're, we're telling you, you can go back. And she looked at me and she went, I had a choice. They didn't just shove me back. And I said, no, I said, she's saying that you had the choice to come back. And she goes, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> she goes, so that means that what's happening to me right now in this moment is that I'm literally being told that I, I took the choice to come back. So it's now my responsibility to do the individuation. So what I'm, what I'm now understanding is you're, that you're giving me this validation because she says, I just started therapy. 
And she says, I went back to the same person and said, I have to come back and I have to talk to you, but I haven't told her about the near-death experience yet because I wanted to be able to find somebody like you that might be able to help me figure out, does this have to do with why I decided to go to therapy? She goes, so is there some deep subconscious level in me that really is what we call an awakening? But the near-death experience in and of itself has her curious to go to therapy because she doesn't know how to deal with what happened and all the changes in her that have occurred since it. So she really is feeling like a different person, can't put her finger on anything, and is feeling so confused. So her big word now to everybody is, I'm just confused, I just don't know. And she thinks, hear me out here, Kelly, she thinks that she's got a brain injury. Because, and this is part of the reason that she's calling, is that she's wondering if she needs a medical intuitive reading, because she's wondering if she actually has brain damage. And the spirit guides are coming in to say, it's not brain damage. And the medical community has told her that. But that she feels that they're wrong, because she just doesn't understand why her brain isn't working the way that it used to. And the therapist is now going to explain to her, because it's trying to get healthy. And she just sat there and looked at me and just said, is it normal to want to cry? That I feel this overwhelmed with emotion, that getting healthy means I feel like I've literally got some kind of freaking brain damage? Well, you do. In, a, in maybe not in a medical sense, but your brain has been wired in an unhealthy way from, from childhood. And I know there's a stress on the individuation stage that happens in uh, your teen years, but it really starts happening around two when you learn to say no. Yeah. And your, your parents, if they're mature enough and willing to learn as you know they are first-time parents, because it is a learning mm-hmm. process for those or for adults, is to learn how to handle no from another person. It's to learn how to say, okay, this no is teaching me about my child versus this no is defiant. And if I follow through with it, it's going to put them in danger. So I have to not let them say no, right? Like mm-hmm. w- the parent-child relationship at that point is so important because you're learning safety versus letting the kid figure themselves out. Mm-hmm. Safety should always r- rule, right, mm-hmm. if, if that's ever in question. But if it's safe for the kid to say no and they're just teaching you about preferences mm-hmm. or it's helping you understand that they're saying no because they're actually tired and you're learning the rhythms of your children, mm-hmm. then that that initial playing with the word no and individuating is your first opportunity to be a person. Mm -hmm. If your parents are unwilling to learn what those no's are, what they're indicating, then you've already set the stage for you're not allowed to be anything other than an extension of me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so there is the feeling of a brain injury. Mm -hmm. There is the feeling that I can't think properly. Mm -hmm. And when I say properly, I mean healthily. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're getting very close to the end of our session here, actually, Kelly, because we get into this this very brief conversation because of time, um, where the guides are just simply explaining to her that she chose to come back to Earth because she chose to learn how to rewire her own brain, and that it was about making her own decisions, and that her therapist and 
the fact that she would have a couple of friends that would be totally on board to help her rewire her brain when she starts to be able to say to them, yeah, no, I need more time or all of the things that she, all the tools she's going to start to be, to receive from the therapist, she's going to have a couple of friends to say, okay, I'm going to start using time and I'm going to start saying no. And they're going to sit there and go, okay, good, good. We're ready. We're ready. And they're there for her. Now that's all I saw was that she had a couple of friends that were willing to do it. I didn't see other people that were willing to do it around her just yet. And I don't know, maybe there are more. We only had a half hour together. Now we're getting to the very end of the session. And Esme says to me that she really had no idea if calling somebody like you or I was a ways to finding this type of information out, but that she was so glad that she at least made the effort and tried. And I was really glad that she did too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool because, I mean, she could go to therapy without ever seeing you and uh, kind of want to do the work, but maybe waffle and not really know why she's there. Um, but to have the clarity of what happened in the near-death experience, to understand the urgency of the goal to get healthy, the necessity of the goal to get healthy, it ties her to an emotional reason as to why she's doing what she's doing. And that's the only really thing that's going to last when we set a goal, right? You you can say you want something. You can think that would be nice to have or do or experience. But if you don't have an emotional tie as to why it's important to you, we waffle or we forget about it and we, we yeah. kind of move on to something else. And she's already done that in therapy. Um, so hopefully this gives her a lot more clarity and direction as to not just what she wants to achieve, but also why she wants to achieve it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Coffee with the Sarlos. If you enjoyed the show today, help spread the love with a like, share, or review of the podcast. See you next Saturday with a brand new episode.